Hey everybody, Jeff Kasouf here with another episode of Kicking Back, and this time I am joined by Sophie Lawson. You can find Sophie's work at EqualizerSoccer.com, which of course is us, also at All for Eleven and She Kicks, among other places, and a lot of Sophie's takes on Twitter at Lawson underscore SV. Really excited to bring you this episode. I think it brings a unique perspective on uh, a very informed and unique perspective on the Champions League, the new the new format and the new the latest draw. Leagues across Europe, their strengths, their weaknesses, how that all fits into the bigger picture. And then we talk about Sophie's career covering women's soccer thus far, the origin story of it, a pretty cool story at the end. Stick around for that for the impetus of wanting to get involved and just excited to bring you this. I think, you know, there, there are a lot of folks doing a lot of great work in the women's soccer space. Don't always get uh, enough of a platform for it. And Sophie knows just about everything on, on the European front, um, watches more soccer than um, certainly than myself and, and most people that I know covering, you know, just watching everything in, in Europe straight to the NWSL and and games in Asia and Japan at, at who knows what hour it is in Europe at those times. So um, really fun chat here. And um, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss any of these podcasts. We've got some more planned. Excited to bring you all different sorts of personalities from the women's soccer world, whether it's journalists, players, coaches, executives, uh, we've got plenty of those. You can go in the archives, and we've got plenty more coming. So hope you enjoy this episode. All right, we're here with another episode of Kicking Back. Jeff Kasuf, your host, as usual, and I am joined this episode by intrepid women's soccer reporter. You've seen her on EqualizerSoccer.com and uh, other places, all for 11, she kicks, and uh, anywhere on the Twitterverse, right, is, is Sophie Lawson. Thanks for joining me. Happy to be here. Yeah, uh, thought it'd be good to talk. It's it's you know early mid September, I guess now at this point, a couple weeks into to the European seasons, um, different different a number of weeks in for each league. But um, we've been talking a lot of Champions League as that gets restarted and it's in its new format. And and you wrote for us on EqualizerSoccer.com about that new format um, in in detail because it does take a little bit of explaining. Um, you know, with with the differences, but I guess if somebody's following the men's Champions League, which is just uh, started up again this week as we're recording, th- there's some similarities, or there's meant to kind of play off of that in this remade women's Champions League. Um, which, if you're listening, I won't bore you, but you can you can go read about the extensive details. But essentially, we now have a group stage that's that's about to begin sometime soon here in the next few weeks, and um, that's a change from essentially the big teams used to enter and go straight into an aggregate knockout competition round of 32. And, you know, I like that personally, it it adds a little bit of um, one, it just adds some, some length to this stage of the game, which it's not just, thanks for coming. Here's, you know, you made champions league and and now you get to get knocked out by some massive team because you got a terrible draw and you got two games out of it. So, you know, you get to the group stage, you're at least getting six games, but um I'm wondering, Sophie, I mean, I think a lot of people have listened to this or in the U.S., you know, there's a little bit more interest, I feel like now. Um, and I think that's because there's more access. You can throw on ATA there and watch FAWSL. You can you can watch most of a good amount from Spain, France. Um, and now we're going to get Champions League streamed globally on zone. So, you know, what do you make of this new format? Do you like it? And And what's your outlook in terms of um, the format itself, and maybe uh, we can get into the competition because some interesting, you know, some interesting groups to a degree. I, I like the new format in theory. Um, I, there are seventy-two teams um, who, who play in the Champions League this season, and that's up from sixty-two last season. But you lose fifty-six of them before you even get to the group stage. Like, and 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 they all get sort of just kicked out in in what they call you know the qualifying rounds, and that that includes some big teams. Uh, we've just seen uh, Real Madrid knock out Man City um, in the second qualifying round, and you know you can have your opinions about both those teams, but we we are losing big teams, we are losing smaller teams as well. But it feels that maybe 
the group stage can be done a little differently. Maybe you can have one earlier for sort of teams well down in the rankings so they get more games. And then you have like another group stage, um, you know, a little bit further into the year for some of the bigger teams or whoever. Um, so you're not just kind of getting rid of a lot and jumping to, to these 16 teams because with the exception of a few, though, we have some very familiar names, familiar teams who generally go far anyway. So it looks like you might just end up with very similar looking quarterfinals uh, to, to what you had last season, um, with a couple of exceptions. So I, I like it, but I think it still needs it still needs work. Mm-hmm. Do you think that could be potentially? You know, I know this is kind of the new vision right now, so it's set for a little bit here. But I mean, could that be like? a similar process, but maybe make that 16 into the 32, double the number of groups. And then, you know, those two, still two group winners and you get a round of 16 instead of straight to a quarters, or do you think that could water down that group stage then? I think it's, it's still uh, viable uh, depending mm-hmm. on what teams you have. And I think you always see that when you have to jump up in women's football, you know, if you're a, like a Euros or a World Cup, as soon as you have to bump up your numbers, and then do the mass for your group stages, you sometimes get teams who are a little bit weaker um, in the draw and, you, and there are maybe questions raised. But, yeah, you, know, you can still do it. Um, the whole point of, 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 of a biggest big group stage, well, for me anyway, is that you'll get, you're giving more games uh, to, to teams who don't always get them. Uh, when uh, Arsenal knocked out Fiorentina last season, I think it was, um, or maybe the season before, before COVID. Uh, the the manager at the time, you know, he said, "We come in, we're not seeded, we go up against a big team, and we get knocked out immediately. We need more games." Fiorentina didn't get through this time, you know, and a lot of those teams who are trying to grow, who are trying to improve, who do have, you know, can call upon a better caliber of players, they're still not getting the games. And, you know, it takes time to get used to playing in Europe. Um, we see it with big teams as well. The, the, they're not overly comfortable with playing unfamiliar opposition. You know, if, if we can give everyone more games and, and give them, you know, more diverse opposition to play against than just, I think it will just bring everyone up in general. Um, and that's maybe what we're lacking this year. Mm-hmm. Just as we're talking here, it's it's striking me there's a little bit of parallel there with, some of the conversation that's going on on the the national team, the international level of um, should there be a world cup every two years is kind of the one that's the extreme, but you know, how does that then become, you know, what do the international breaks look like? And and I think the argument I've seen for the every two years, which um, I guess that's, I I don't want to open that can of worms, but it's just that, you know, the the game programming um, that can exist and, and, you know, the counterpoint to that is you're, you're inherently going to take away from the club game, the professional game, which, you know, maybe is, I think it's a different conversation on the men's side, on the women's side, that's still a place that really needs that development. So, you know, that's an interesting point. I think that, you know, it's similar to the world cup or, or even a continental championship that until these teams get there, they don't know what it is. And then they have to get there and understand what it is. So that you really need those kind of couple cycles. And um, you're right. I'm looking at the, you know, the groups here and you have your heavyweights and you have some, um, even for me, I think there's like names here that are familiar, like, Oh yeah, they're always like in the round of 32 maybe, but they're not necessarily going to surprise us. Maybe we'll see, but (laughs) a shrug of the shoulders. Um, what, what what do you make of these groups? I mean, I think if you want to really sit down and say, you know, particularly, I think, B and D really, you know, you can look at and say, okay, there's two clear favorites here that you would expect to advance. I think group A and maybe a little bit, you know, to a degree group C, there's some intrigue there. And and if you're listening, group A at least is Chelsea Wolfsburg and Juventus or the the three I'm talking about, uh, Servette, who I think you you did write about in in reference at least um, in in the piece explaining it of just how they came through anyway. but what do you like of these groups? What, what's what's jumping out to you? Um, I, I think Group C is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it, it's a tricky one. Um, I think we're, um, as we're talking, we're, we're two games into the WSL season um, and Arsenal have looked quite good. 
but they clearly have a couple of defensive issues. I think if they go up against Barcelona and, and Hoffenheim, they're going to have those issues exposed a lot more. I think it would be better for them to have them exposed now than when they're playing the game against City or next time they play against Chelsea. So I think teams can actually benefit from that as well to help their, their, their club form. But I think that there are some really interesting looking games. Um, unfortunately, in that group, Hoffenheim, who are there on merit as the, the third uh, placed a German team. They have a horrible run of games in and around those Champions League fixtures. They're playing, you know, sort of the uh, the, the other three biggest teams in Germany, and that I, I think it's it's all going to contrive for them, and it's going to hit their league form and their, their European form, unfortunately. Um, but you know, hopefully that they they come up with their best stuff because I think those could be interesting games. Um, on paper, PSG Real Madrid uh, again it, it, in Group B, which is looking to be about the weakest group, um, with, with with no disrespect to, to to the other two teams, I think that could be interesting as well because Real Madrid are very new to the competition. Um, they had a good first game against Man City. They were quite shaky and nervous in the second game, but they got through it. Um, I think they'll have a, a chance to to test themselves against PSG and again learn 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 about playing in Europe because this is all new for them, um, all new for the manager. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people will look at sort of say Chelsea Wolfsburg because we get that almost every season. Uh, but it, the, the balance of power there has really shifted. Um, so I think there is a look to, to Group A that will get some good games. But when you actually break into it, I think yeah, Wolfsburg are going to want to to try and reestablish power uh, over, over Chelsea because they were very, very poor last season. Um, and Juventus have only just gotten their first win um, or the first wins in, in the Champions League uh, because they got knocked out in the, the first round for their first three seasons. And now their first win uh, came because they had to come through the Champions path in, in qualification and then they beat the um, Albanian champions. So they haven't really been massively tested this year, but to have that first win under the belt is huge for them. And now they've got to go up against some big teams and we'll, we'll get to see if they're um, if, if they're growing in Europe as they are in, in Italy. But I think maybe some of the the ties might end up looking better than they end up as. Yeah, it's interesting. I think anybody kind of coming, maybe maybe a soccer fan coming to this that hasn't necessarily watched Women's Champions League or isn't watching domestically, you see some of these groups and and in some ways um, ironically maybe they look a little bit like that men's side in terms of you know here's a real madrid now and you say okay that's a favorite in that group but to your point first time in europe you know beating manchester city in that sort of preliminary aggregate round stage to get to the group stage was um somewhat surprising really and and um so it, it's an interesting even juventus you know another team a club with obviously a name and, and track record but on the women's side very new i know you've covered um juve a little bit and and been keeping your eyes on on italy in general um and some of the progress there which i think is is interesting we saw a little bit of that at the world cup but um it's it's an interesting uh, sort of layout as as some of these teams. I think Real Madrid is like the poster child for a big club finally getting on board. Uh, you know, I, I th there's some cynicism to the how and the why and everything, but finally getting on board with a women's team. And now, you know, year one, they make Champions League and year two, they're in it. And they've already got a big result, no matter how this group stage goes, right? Absolutely. Um, if I think they can go out and, and make a whole bunch of mistakes and still get through um, <laughs> the group stage, you know, they've, because of, because of that draw. Um, I think that they've kind of made out like bandits. It, it, I, I, I think I can say without offending anyone um, because they, they, they should be able to, to navigate that with, with the players they have. Um, and they can grow so, so much straight off the bat. <laughs> but it, it does make that, that group a little less interesting. Even the, the games against PSG, they aren't dead rubber by any stretch of the imagination, but maybe not quite the blockbusters people might hope. But that doesn't mean that the players won't come up and and, and absolutely play their hearts out. Um, yeah, yeah it, it's a strange one. Um, 
I didn't mention Group D. Um, it's got kind of clear divide between the top two and the perceived bomb two. I, I think Lyon versus Bayern Munich is is a has a potential to be a really fun match, both home and away. Um, and on the other side of it, Hecken versus Benfica, I think could actually be a really really good uh, good tie as well. Um, it's just when you start splitting them up and you've got Benfica versus Lyon, it it might be a little bit less interesting to the neutral fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think these growing pains are just going to be, you know, we're, we're used to them being part of the conversation, especially the World Cup. We just saw, I feel like we just saw it grow. We really, in, in a way, did. And we're going to see it again in a couple of years and, and I think probably be having similar conversations. So um, I, I want to ask you about Spain's other big team or other team, at least at this stage right now, is Barcelona. They're the, the holders now in Champions League, did it quite convincingly. Um, you know, their league title last year, quite convincingly, nearly perfect. Um, the the Champions League final against Chelsea, obviously, you know, I think Chelsea probably would, would love that first half hour back, but, you know, even that was was quite a, a display in a final. Um, I think I saw some really premature chatter at that point and, and over the summer here of this being that new era of, you know, Leon had the five straight titles and now Barcelona looks like that standard bearer. Um, that's a really high bar to set, obviously. But I mean, I know you're you, you were um, sort of prescient in this sense of of two years ago, I think it was when you were writing about Barcelona that they were on the cusp and they needed that final that they lost ugly themselves to have that success. And here we are in it. Um, what's your take on the state of Barcelona? Obviously, where they are now, but even how to sustain this? Maybe is this is this this sort of new? European standard bearer, do you think? It's tough. Um, when when Lyon did it, um, you know, professionalism was there in women's football, but it was for the select few. It's still for the select few, but the select few plus a few. Um, so it, it automatically makes it harder for, for any team to kind of go on that type of run and just set the pace for the entire continent. Um, but they... It, <laughs> They do play such such good football, and even though they've changed a manager, and you've had uh, a few sort of players in and out, they they just they know how to play football, um, and it can be very hard to, to to play against them to try and beat them um, because they're so competent in, in, in all they do. Uh, for want for one of a better, a better word, uh, they they could easily go go on a run, but. You know, you look around Europe, uh, other teams who are coming up and and the ones who, who've made their mistakes. So, say, Bayern Munich were, were, were close uh, enough to the final last year. But, again, maybe some naiveties for, from their coach there against Chelsea. Um, again, a very good first leg, dodgy second leg. Don't know really what was going through the, the manager's mind. But, you know, these are the types of teams that can come up and, and hurt you. We've seen... Um, Arsenal take a lot of steps over the summer. They do look very good. You know, now you put them up against Barcelona. We're going to see that uh, next month, uh, I think, their first matches. Um, you know, and it, it, it can give you a good litmus for, for where you are. You know, Spain is, is a very good league. It's a very strong league. And I think people see Barcelona running away with the title uh, to the degree that they did last season. And, and so, so very close to having that perfect season. And they think, well, the standard isn't very good, but it's, it's, it's quite the opposite. Um, they are a very good team in a very good league. And that it keeps them um, fresh and fighting each, each week. Uh, I think when we talked about Lyon, it was always... It's not the strongest league, but they've got the best team. So, you know, your inter-squad scrimmages are going to be the best you can get in, in, in Europe. Uh, now it's it's Barcelona. Well, they have these really taxing games every week and they, they keep getting better and they keep maturing. Um, yeah, I, I think there's there's they gained a lot of respect for how they won the Champions League last year. And and hopefully you, know, you can keep developing because it's fantastic for women's football. But uh, yeah, no, they're, they're just a, a good, solid team who, who know how to play the game. We touched on a little bit of what I want to ask you, which is, um, you know, I know that you're, you're quite, um, as much as anybody I know, certainly in tune with all different, all these different leagues, certainly the major ones. And, you know, I think there's 
Um, admittedly, I think I've fallen into this trap before too, because I just don't get to see enough of some of them that, you know, there's a perception of what things look like, certainly in France, uh, maybe to a degree in Spain, Germany, England, we're seeing a lot more of, I mean, there's still some disparity there, but, um, and I think Caroline Grant Hampson um, touched on this in the spring when she kind of responded to some of that chatter of, you know, we play, I, people say we play weak teams and that's bull crap basically is, is what she said. I think I'm paraphrasing, but I'm not far off from, from what the, the phrase was, but um, you know, what, which league do you find kind of most compelling? Um, I don't know if top to bottom is the term, but just, you know, we know about Barcelona, we know about Leon, but you know, there are a dozen plus other teams in these leagues. Um, what do you, when you're watching say, this is a fun league, even in the middle of the table, even those teams can give one of the better teams in the league a run for their money. Um, I, I, Spain, Spain is right up there. I, I think it depends how you want to try and quantify what, what was the, the best league and people are always going to argue about that type of thing, but it, it's, you know, it, it is, it's moved to a, to a fully professional setup. You've, you've got a lot of players who, who go and play in Spain who aren't Spanish. It's, it's a good uh, place for a lot of them to develop depending on on where they're from. So you've got a nice sort of mix of, of talent going in as well. But it, you, yes, you sometimes get Barcelona beating teams 8-0, um, but you get a lot of very compelling matches, a lot of very interesting matches. Um, a lot of teams who grow and mature and kind of get over humps and bogey teams and, and stuff. You, know, you can see um, like a team like Levante, right at the start of the season in Spain, beat Real Madrid 4-0. And that was sort of in between their matches against Lyon that they lost 2-1, uh, both legs. <laughs> and that was, and at the same time, Real Madrid were beating Man City. So there's a lot of interest going on. Um, I quite like Germany as well. I think there's a bit more stagnation in Germany in terms of teams investing. It's still just a few at the top, unfortunately. There are There is still money coming in. But it's it's such a, a good uh, league for for players from other parts of Europe to go to, uh, and and again, and it's it's a good league for for growth. And you get again the blowout, unfortunately, when you get very good against near the bottom of the table. Uh, although you do get some surprises, it does happen. Um, it's j again just a very compelling, very interesting league to watch, and stylistically very different from Spain. I think that's one of the nice things about when you go around Europe is the Spanish league has its own style, the German league has its own style, the Swedish league, they all they all kind of have their own personalities. Um, and you can generally, with a lot of these leagues, just pick out a game and it will be a good watch. Whereas, say, if you go over to Italy or Germany, where you've got more of a divide, uh, not Germany, it Italy or um, France, where you've got more of a divide, you're not always guaranteed to get such um, a good match. If, if you like... Matches that are more open. If you, if you like just one-sided football or one team being very good and a lot of very, very good players, you, yeah, you're fine. But again, it's it's down to wherever you like. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess unless you're a fan of a specific team that's that's doing that uh, on the positive side of that beatdown, I don't know. I, I, those are typically, for me anyway, as a neutral, tough to watch. Um, but you know, I like to see, as you, as you describe a good match and, and even honestly, um, I think, you know, I've always loved an underdog story. So the, the rare occasion that you get a, uh, a team that's, that's kind of punching above their weight. And, you know, I think like Bordeaux had a pretty good season last year, Hoffenheim's obviously into this last 16 by some level of surprise, I guess. Um, so, you know, I, PSG is not an underdog, but the way that France has gone for a decade and a half, a new champion is, is something. Um, so, you know, but yeah, I think, uh, that it's tough to kind of get past some of that perception that there are two important games a year in France. And I think that's unfair to a degree, but you know, it, it continues to play out that way. So, uh, I'll be interested to see. I'm I'm looking forward to see. We didn't even last year, last season, we didn't have that much access to. And I, I will say legally, I know people always yell at me about this. I'm not like the pirated streams for me. I gave up on a long time ago. So legally, we did not have a lot of access to watch uh, the Primera Division. But now uh, that has improved. So looking forward to seeing some more of that. And um, 
well, I, I want to ask you about FAWSL because I do think that is the one that is certainly the most accessible here at the moment. Um, it's something that I think a lot of people here are getting into more. And, and, you know, again, obviously there's the tie-in to these clubs, which I think, you know, it's like a light bulb that went off for some of these clubs. Like, oh, we have people who just love our badge and they support our men's team. So why wouldn't they support the women's team? And and it feels like low hanging fruit, but um, you know, we, maybe they know about Chelsea Arsenal. There's um, you know, as cynical as it may be, obviously some of the Americans that went over there now you have Tobin Heath at Arsenal, at least from a U.S. perspective will bring some added interest. Um, But you know, Man City had a horrible week as, as you alluded to, there was the Real Madrid game and then the Tottenham result, which um, you know, happy to talk about. I think there's there's different factors there, perhaps. But um, Manchester United, I'm not sure what to make of after the changes there. And you know, there's some decent mid-table teams. Everton, I'm surprised by so far in terms of wanting to see a little bit more out of them. What you know, somebody's tuning into the FAWSL for the the first time right now, a couple of weeks in, granted, but like. What what's jumping out to you? Because a lot seems to have happened already from, you know, Arsenal being Chelsea opening day. I mean, what are you looking at right now in the FAWSL as, as a, a point of intrigue? Um, Everton's poor start to the season, I think mm-hmm. is, is particularly interesting. Um, I was at Goodison Park and I watched them just... Uh, <laughs> I don't want to say get torn apart by Man City. I think they just played themselves that game they were so just a, a defensive mess um they've they've made a lot of new signings and that's going to take time for them to gel with each other the problem is their first two games of the season were man city and chelsea and you start you see, and you immediately lose ground if you if you're losing those games hopefully they don't fall into any kind of degree of tailspin they do have some fantastic players um both sort of pre-existing and some they've they've just signed. I think there's there is interest there in, in watching how that team grows because they're still a sort of a, a somewhat new project for, for Willie Kirk since he moved. Uh Man United, again, not quite sure what to make of them. Uh they played well enough against Reading. Um they they play well enough. Uh they do miss a couple of um American players that they had last season. But uh, they've they've got uh, uh, sort of three players uh, for me who, who are jumping out as being sort of those who kind of lead the way for them this season. We'll have to see that how that goes. Again, new manager, one that is very well known to NWSL fans. Um, although NWSL fans might have very mixed opinions on him, uh, it's it's a good chance to to see how he gets along with with a new team and, and back in England and back with some young young players. I think that's particularly Mark Skinner's strength is developing younger players. So hopefully you see some, some of that from Man United. Um, I think it, people are sort of talking about Brighton already. Uh, they, they've given Chelsea a few runs for their money in the last couple of seasons. They've had a very good start uh, to this season, but there is some context in who they've played. The fact West Ham went down to 10 players. Uh, you know, the fact they just played Birmingham, although they did look very good. There is a, there's a lot. But um, yeah, I, I, I've, I've seen Arsenal a few times now. Uh, lucky enough to, to to see them in in WSL and and in Europe, and they are looking particularly good. Again, uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, a few defensive issues and areas of the pitch they need to work on. They they've got a, a new coach as well. Everyone seems to have a new coach. Uh, he's he's aware that he's making sort of tactical mistakes, and he's learning as he goes. It's very interesting to watch uh, how they're coming together because they have a, a very, very, very strong midfield uh, with the new signings uh, for Manu Wabuchi and Frida Mormon. So I think that's a, they, they could be a, a fun team to watch if you're into that. Um, otherwise, there's you know there's, there's stuff going on low down the table. Again, I think as as long as you're kind of staying away from the type of maybe Chelsea versus. Aston Villa type of matches, you, you've got a good chance of, of seeing a, a good competitive game. Just you know, be aware of, of of teams' form coming into matches if you are turning on and tuning in and, and expecting something. But you know, you, we we are we're very lucky in England that we have a lot of very good players here, a lot of very good midfielders right now as well. So 
that does does make for some some good watching. Mm. Brighton, top of the table. That's a no yeah. context. We're we're going no context on anything here. <laughs> it's the, the hope power revolution. On the <laughs> um, I I did see that getting hyped up to a degree, and I was like, look, you know, there's a lot of people that go top of the table in week one and two, but um, it's it's cool to see, you know, to a degree. And I think there have been uh, last season certainly, you know, Reading being one of them. Um, Everton was a nice nice enough story that that there are teams that can give um, sort of mid table teams that can give that top three, let's call it um, a decent game here and there. Although Everton, I guess is still sort of trying to get the actual result and get over that hump. But um, well, I mean, we talk about all these things, uh, you know, I want to ask you, you know, what um, we're talking about these things because one, you know, people should know, I know you said, you don't, you're not going to, trumpet you know play your own trumpet here but i will do it for you you know it doesn't matter the hour of the day i think if you're following sophie on twitter you will see watching anything going on at a more normal hour for you in europe but you know i've seen you on these late nwsl kickoffs analyzing weighing in and that's got to be what it's five hours that i think so you know well into like should be a sleep time <laughs> on, a, on an nwsl kickoff um but you know you're watching all these things and and you're you're analyzing it and um, you know you've got this this expertise on you know this wide variety that I think a lot of people don't which I think is 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 worth you know calling out and, and saying because um, there's you know still we're in this place of of women's football coverage that's um, it's a weird one um, which maybe we can we could talk about what it looks like in Europe but um, I want to ask you first on the fun side like in a, in a world where travel was a little bit more normal. I mean, what was, is there an event that you've really enjoyed covering, I guess, in person or maybe a league that you've, you know, something, something that you've really, cause I know you've been to some, you've been to some of those odd friendly events too, right. And I want to say Cyprus, was it, did you go to once or twice? Cyprus twice? Cup twice. Okay. Yeah. Algarve cut once. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. I, I forgot that people used to be able to travel places. Um, <laughs> I did. Um, it's because it wasn't even that long ago. Um, well, it was 2019. I, I went to, to to Stockholm to watch uh, Sweden versus Germany, mm-hmm. and that was one of Martin Vos Tecklenburg's first games. And this is just before the World Cup. Um, and I just, it was just kind of like a nice day out. I think um, it was played at the, the Friends Arena, um, not necessarily where the Swedish women's team usually play. Um, it was a really great atmosphere, loads and loads of fans in. And it was it was such a good performance from Germany as well. And then to see that, and then a couple of months later to be in France and watch Sweden beat Germany at a major tournament for the first time in donkey's years. And, and having seen, you know, um, it's it's to be able to do that and to see two very different versions of the same match. Um, I, I, I love to be able to do stuff like that. Um, I actually did that with Sweden versus Russia in 2017 as well because they played at the Algarve Cup and they played each other at the Euros. Um, I just, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of just getting out and, and seeing games where possible and where safe. Um, I kind of have a thing about watching football no matter what time it is. I will routinely get up and get on a plane, or get up at 3 a.m., get on a plane and travel to wherever to watch a match because the coverage is historically so poor um but you know when when you're watching a stream whether it be a legal one or not you're limited to what you can watch who you can watch what you can look at um so i just kind of always enjoyed being able to look at the players i want to look at and try and assess and analyze from wherever i'm sat um so I, yeah I, I don't think there's anything massive that sticks out in my mind even though i've been a little bit of everywhere really um i just yeah i just like watching football in person um and that's i think something probably a lot lot of people can can um relate to and and thing is you know we've missed in the last year and a half uh well most people have i I know you do have fans back in in um in nwsl matches and have for a little while and you know we've got a few back in england and it's still gently gently as we go but uh, yeah it's and you find yourself watching 
I'm actually thinking, oh, I wish I was there. I wish I could go to that country, you know. And yeah, watching the Olympics this summer was really bittersweet because I was supposed to be there, wanted to be there, but it it just it it, it wasn't viable. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, no, I think that's that's really cool because that's the context that. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if we, I don't, I don't know if you do liken, liken myself to like a historian, but um, in the sense of us in the present day writing, covering, you know, and this being for a while now, the foundation to wherever this sport is going that, you know, those accounts are, are needed and the context is necessary. And, you know, even that story of, of going to that Sweden Germany game and having that perspective, you know, that's exactly for them to meet again at a major tournament, that's exactly what you hope to get out of that is you have that background, that context that I've actually seen this. And, and maybe if I, if I can do my, you know, if I can write this properly, that can come out in a way that gives me a story that nobody else has, or just provides that context, which um, is cool. That's um, yeah, I do miss, I've been to two games because the U S played about 45 minutes away here and I could drive and um, I'm still not sure really genuinely not sure when I want to get on a plane again. Um, so I, I do, I know what you're saying. I do miss games in person. So I'll have to, I'll have to do the drive down to Gotham here soon, but uh, I don't know about some of these, these flights, but um, Algarve cup, I never got to what, I mean, I've always heard how beautiful it is there. Did you get to kind of enjoy that a little bit? Uh, I kind of have, I, I'm like, I kind of have a thing where if I do travel to a football match or to a tournament, I generally do not see anything of the place. Like I, especially if it's just one match, I will get up, go do and come back. Um, no hotel, no, no, no. Um, it's hilly in the Algarve. Um, that, that much I remember, uh, cause there was definitely a point where I was trying to walk away from the stadium and it, I could feel, um, my, uh, my calf just threatening to snap. Um, it, could, it, it was such a steep incline, but no, it's um, yeah, a, a, nice, a nice place. Um, and as uh, I know, I've written uh, for, for uh, Equalizer in the past about how those those tournaments at that time of year are changing now because of the FIFA calendar and yada yada yada. So we might actually be moving away from sort of the traditional Algarve Cup, which is a shame because it was an, you know, a, a good tournament for teams and and for any travelling fans, it was not somewhere nice to go for a week and. You know, you, there wasn't a match every day or anything, so you could just see some of the area. You travel around; the people were friendly. You know, sometimes you ended up somewhere and you didn't speak any Portuguese, and they didn't speak any English, and you had to try and work through that. But yeah, that is um, it's, it's a nice area. Um, whereas, say the Cyprus Cup is mostly around Monaco, which is quite a rundown area in Cyprus, which is a, a bit of a shame. So if you go there, there's considerably less to do uh, if you don't drive. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a shame. I mean, I think uh, I feel like there's a whole documentary to be done on like the Algarve Cup in particular, where they spent how many years? I mean, a couple of decades really or more of, of, you know, having the best teams in the world there. And mostly, at least over here, there was no way to ever watch it. We got we got some games once. And I think I believe actually Fox had to call off a scheduled broadcast because the lighting was so poor at whatever stadium they were they were playing at the U S and it's, it's just crazy to me that, you know, you could get these amazing matches there. So much happened there um, for better or worse. I mean, that's, you know, that U S Denmark game that unfortunately led to Tom Sermani's ousting. And, and, you know, that was just like a mystery over here it was, it was a crazy scoreline, but you know, there wasn't much context for it. And um, you know, all those years and they never found a way to monetize it. And then U S soccer all of a sudden, just says, oh yes, right. We're we're paying. Uh, I don't know what the you know fifty hundred grand to, to make this trip for a month when we could actually make a bunch of money by hosting our own tournament. So um, a little bit unfortunate that that's kind of how the Algarve Cup maybe is going away or or changing. But um, it's well, because they they are or as they were before we had to sort of change the the um the number of matches you could play in that FIFA window. They, they were great. Um, same for the Cyprus Cup. Obviously, it's felt much more like sort of the step down. But Cyprus Cup, you know, you end up with like North Korea playing Hungary or Belgium. And, you know, even sort of South Africa and Nigeria ended up at the Cyprus Cup as well, which, 
you know, for, for teams that maybe don't get to play um, nations out there in confederation that often, that's you know, that type of thing is massive. Um, then you kind of look at this: what the she believes can't becomes, or the tournament of nations, and it feels very. It's the same nations every time, and even if it's the same nations at the out of cup, the draw is generally big enough that you kind of avoid some of the same teams, and it's it's just a shame um, because they have been quite useful for for the for the growth and development of some nations. I'd, yeah, I'd say. But, yeah. Well, what do you think? I mean, I think that maybe hits at, at a, um, an interesting topic that, that I'd love to just talk about quickly with you is, is kind of the, um, this sort of growth period that the sport is in. And I, I always use the term like the adolescent stage for the NWSL as an example where, you know, they're not new, um, they're not really established, but they're trying to figure out who they are, what they are, where they're going. And, and, you know, there are definitely some growing pains as we've seen this summer and, and at other times, but um, I think that carries over into the coverage of the sport too. But, you know, the, the process of, I feel like you've talked about this, written about it, tweeted about it, you know, the, the kind of authenticity of the game and, and the sport is interesting because, you know, if you wanted to be cynical about what we just said, I mean, you had this all Garf cup and, you know, the, the, she believes is a great, gathering of top teams but it's a four-team tournament that's got a heavy commercial angle to it for sure um it's not you know south africa getting games where they might not otherwise and um i think you see that in all different ways you know it's it's nwsl fawsl growing they're taking steps they have to take to be bigger but sometimes at at some cost um i don't know i feel like you've tackled this topic before i'd be interested in just kind of it's a very broad topic i realize it's not it's not one for a a two-minute answer but um i mean how have you kind of seen that evolution maybe from from where you are there in london of just like you know it seems like fawsl is getting more coverage but with that comes maybe people who don't have the context maybe certain i don't know what what uglier sides of the men's game that trickle in what what does that look like to you i don't I, I find wsl to be kind of strange in how it is and if i think i've referred to it as just as a league as having um it's forced evolution i think is a term i used when when they until announced everything was going pro um you know and what we're seeing in in wsl at least is because the players are professional and the setups are professional for most teams it's a sliding scale um but then you have issues that you wouldn't have if everything evolved at the same same pace so you know we've recently had emma hayes saying um women's game in england is treated you know the, the players are treated as second class citizens because we don't have var um which i find you know emma has been around the game for so long that she she knows that you know this the, the the state of play in England. She knows that VAR isn't doesn't you know lack of it doesn't make her uh, her players second class citizens by any stretch. Um, especially with some of the things we have elsewhere in women's football. Um, but if the game had kind of all organically grown, then the standard of officiating would would be better, and so some of the medical support would be better. It just it all comes up together. Um, but then yeah, you kind of have as well. You have teams just sort of thrown into the league or bungeed in um, without much history and everything has to come together and then you kind of get new fans coming in and they come from the men's side and then maybe they're having a, they're clashing a little bit with fans on the women's side um, and I don't want to feel like I don't want to feel like I'm calling them out but there was uh, sort of some kind of incident um, when Man United were in the second tier playing their first season um, and the fans who had come over from the men's game were kind of uh, acting as they would at a men's game. Uh, I think they were playing Durham, I think. Um, and the fans were like, hey, 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 that's not how we are here. In women's football, we're not like that. It's more of a family environment, which again is its own thing um, to how that's how women's football has been marketed for so long. Uh, obviously, less so in NWSL because you get to drink beer at your games. Uh, but yeah, so there was, there was a clash there. I think there might have been falling out where a couple of fans were like, well, you know, we feel like we can't be ourselves. Um, this is how we support our team. Maybe this isn't for us. 
think is, you know, it's, it's all a lot of growing pains. Uh, and that's just, that's just England. Um, you know, it's, we're still trying to work out, is this football? Is this women's football? Is this, can this be for, do you have to be a fan of men's football? Do you, it, does that detract? Loads of questions of, of how to, to market the game in, in itself um, and get more fans in and, and, and still kind of be a positive thing and have the, you know, the visibility because you want girls to be able to play and think, oh, we can be professional footballers, but then, oh, this is a professional game. So we need to make sure we're treating it as a professional game and we're not con- condescending and we're not doing this and the other. And, oh, if it is a professional game, then why, why does it have to be this specific environment? And it, you just kind of go around in circles and give yourself headaches trying to work it out. Um, and that's just England. And that's just England sort of in the last few years. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of weird, I guess. It's, it, yeah. Everything's kind of weird. I think it's probably an easy easy response in the well, two-minute response. I think that's descriptive, though, to some degree of of the NWSL in terms of, you know, the growing pains that maybe specific examples, but similarly, and, and I think that's something um, I, I would guess similar in, in a lot of places, just at maybe at different stages of that, um, you know, that professionalization. And um, so it's it's interesting. I, I think probably could, we could probably do a, a part two of this just on the, uh, you know, the authenticity of, of, or the evolution of these leagues, the sport and where it goes. But, um, you know, I know just, just curious from your perspective as, as someone covering it kind of at that, that ground level, that organic level, um, which maybe, I mean, before we go, like what, what got you into covering the sport? What got you into writing and, and, you know, just chasing, chasing a game? Um, I, I, I um, um the short response is uh i was bored one i think it was saturday um and i was just on twitter and uh i saw a bbc sport tweet uh oh at half time uh between england and canada in their warm-up game before the, the, the 2015 world cup uh catch the second half uh, on bbc online Oh, hey, I didn't know that England were playing. Okay. Um, so I watched the second half of the match. Um, that, yeah, it was just ahead of the 2015 World Cup. I thought, oh, that's, yeah, yeah, that was enjoyable. It was good. Um, uh, oh, there's the Women's World Cup on. I should watch that. Um, so I watched every game, um, which is the absolutely normal thing to do when, when you're new to something. Um, and, yeah, I just, I, I'm kind of a, an all-or-nothing person anyway. Uh, so I just dove right in and tried to learn, you know, as I went along about these teams, about these players. And then because of where I live in London, I, I have Arsenal relatively close. I also have now 13 London Bees relatively close. Um, so I got down uh, to a London Bees game um, and then immediately left and went to an Arsenal game after it. Um, I say all oh, or nothing. Uh, and yeah, and I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll watch this. And, there's something that happened during the London Bees game because there was only like a hundred fans or how many that you had such a good view of the coach and he could see it was one, one and he wasn't sure whether or not to make a substitution and you could just feel his anxiety and it was late in the game and they're playing Oxford United. Um, and it's one, one and should he make the substitution? He shouldn't do that. Um, and he was anxious. He wasn't sure. And it crept over the entire team. They didn't know if they should be holding on for a point, if they try and be scoring a winner uh, and Oxford scored a winner um, I think it was in stoppage time I think it was Lauren Allison as well um, so that's weird how the, my, the memory works anyway I was watching this and thinking well I want to say something about, I can see Julian Brooms doesn't know what to do here I can see this I want to say something about this so I, I put it in like a, a a note on my phone and photoshot it and, and tweeted it and then that became oh hey I could write about these matches I'm going to because I'm going to some um, and I started going to more matches and traveling further and getting coaches up and down uh, up and down England. And then, oh, hey, I went to Italy and I went to Germany. And, I, and then, oh, you've got all these leagues um, that you can watch and the, there are loads of different things going on. And yeah, uh, so I was blogging about it and someone said, uh, hey, do you want to sort of do the same, same thing for us? Uh, we can get you accredited so you don't have to be writing on your knees, that type of thing. And it's just... Uh, yeah, it just sort of started out from, from blogging and, and just that one moment of, of seeing 
this manager who didn't know if if, she, if he should uh, stick or twist. And now we're a few years later. I've racked up like over a hundred thousand miles of traveling around Europe. Uh, I've covered a couple of tournaments, and it's just yeah, it's uh, you know sometimes I call myself a journalist, sometimes I don't. I, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just someone who watches a lot of football, basically. Um, and and I I just enjoy the game. Uh, and I think there are loads of stories out there, especially because it's you know, it is what it is. Sometimes it's an embryonic game. Sometimes it's an adolescent game. Um, but there are stories and, and there are things. And, you know, for as long as I've been writing, which is only a few years, the, the the coverage has skyrocketed. When I was writing about the Spanish League a couple of years ago, there was no one else writing about it in English, not not sort of in, in the way that I was. That also meant it was really hard to find details on matches and, and stuff. To And it was just a lot of effort to, to do. And now far far more stuff in English on the Spanish League on this league and that league and that's really cool to see is, is, is the growth but yeah so it started out with a, a random tweet uh saying hey England are, are playing Canada um it's a, it's a friendly before the World Cup and, and... The, the power of Twitter that's that's cool 100,000 miles around Europe that's no small feat that's like I mean, it'd be one thing maybe if I overhear like New York to LA and back is, you know, really racking it up, but that's, that's something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> some regrets. <laughs> yeah. It, I, yeah. I, th- I think you find a lot of people in women's football for better or worse who are, are passionate about it. And I think that's kind of what I ended up being. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I've, I've, I think again, a lot of people do stuff out uh, of, you know, out of their own pocket and, and yada yada and I sort of never kind of gone about it instead of uh, in, in terms of oh I could be a journalist or I can make money off of this it's mm-hmm. hey can I tell some stories can I can I help these players these teams this league have some coverage can I share this with people mm-hmm. Sophie Lawson women's soccer storyteller how's that is the way to end it <laughs> thanks for joining me anytime Jeff Thank you for listening to Kicking Back, a podcast brought to you by The Equalizer and now with Blue Wire Podcasts. If you missed any of our great interviews from the past or you don't want to miss anything going forward, and I promise you that you don't, please subscribe on any platform you're listening. And please go ahead and rate and review our podcast. It really does help with visibility. That's that for this episode. We'll be back soon with another great guest from the world of women's soccer. 